This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. You're going to be asked, what did you do? Even if you're in production, what did you do to advance race equity? What did you do to reduce the debt, to get more butts and seats? Hi, I'm Anita Walker, Executive Director of the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Michael Bobbitt. He is the new Artistic Director of New Repertory Theater in Watertown. And welcome to our program. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. You and I had a conversation some time ago, but you said some things that really uh, kind of perked my interest and I thought would be interesting to our field. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this. My millennial sons are um, a Silicon Valley and they work in the environment of sort of startup-y culture. When you were talking about uh, some of the, your approach to running the theater, some of what you said reminded me a lot of the way the work environment is in techie startup companies. And I thought, geez, I've never heard about this kind of an approach to work uh, in our workplaces. So I want to start out by talking about that. My son gets infinite days off. <laughs> Go. Yeah, sure. So uh, so we're talking about the work-life balance and the culture inside the building. Uh, part of what I really wanted to do um, and what I do at most organizations I go to is really sort of define what the culture is that we want. So um, one of the first things I did with the senior staff was to sit them down and talk about what, how we wanted to identify the culture of the organizations. Um, there were certainly some cultural things that I inherited, some positive, some negative, um, but I wanted to also create the kind of environment that I like to live and work under. So I asked them all to tell me what they how they define the culture. And we named things like entrepreneurial, good work-life balance, not afraid of growth, happy, fun place to work, team player. Um, and so I took all those things and I used those to redefine the employee handbook to make sure that there was nothing in the handbook that was against the cultures that we talked about. And then those things help to um, look at uh, how we wanted to refine our employee benefits. Uh, so we walked away from that with um, some of the things in the handbook were we created a liberal teleworking policy, being that we are in theater, we have lots of evenings and weekends. I'm not going to make you work an evening and weekend and then come in to do a 40-hour day and punch a clock. And plus with technology, I don't need you to be in the office to have a meeting with you and to know you're working. So that policy has been great. We also came up with the moonlighting policy, and some of that had to do with where we are in our salaries. My hope is to build the salaries over the next few years. But given where we are, I did not want the staff to feel like they couldn't get side jobs. Our job is their most primary job, but other gigs they can do. They just have to check with their supervisors to make sure it's okay. Uh, we also walked away from there with uh, the one you were talking about is unlimited vacation. Everyone's ears are perking up. Actually, <laughs> even outside the pod pod and throughout this organization. So talk about that. So yeah, I did a lot of research on it. And this was one of the things that I did at my last organization. And it worked so beautifully well. The staff at New Rep was very confused. It was like, what, is, what do you mean unlimited vacation? And I was like, well, what do you think I mean? I mean, unlimited vacation. It's an interesting concept that I didn't make up. It's out there elsewhere. Many corporations are doing it. The job then becomes being based on deliverables and not based on punching a clock. Uh, if you get your things done and you need to take time off, it's fine. 
or you make sure your things are getting done. Sometimes it's working with a colleague to make sure things are being covered when you're out of the office. The, some of the benefits of the organization is that we do save money on payout if someone leaves early. That's one of the benefits. The second benefit is that it's a better work-life balance and people can really balance their time. You do have to watch things like overabuse of it. So sometimes there are parameters on it. And again, it's based on deliverable. So if you're taking time off and you're not getting your stuff done, then that, that kind of conversation has to happen with your supervisor. The other thing is that you have to lead by example. So the leadership has to take time off when they're, taking, when they're needed. You mentioned something that I, I actually was thinking less about people taking too much time off, but people being afraid to take any time off. Right. Both the leaders and the management, the, the management team have to sort of model that behavior. And then we have a mantra around the, the office. We actually write it up on the board, which is that there always is a to-do list. You never get it done. And so you have to work with your supervisor to prioritize the list so that you can get the most important things done. Um, we're also looking at um, an HSA, health savings account. Right now, our health insurance is a little lower than I want it to be. So hoping to put some money into a health savings account for those folk um, as they need it. We have a retirement in place. I want to get to 3 to 5% of a match for that. Um, someday life insurance offering that. Uh, and there's this wonderful um, national thing called the Employee Assistance Program where you can actually create a support network for staff that's in crisis. If they have a crisis about financials or mental illness, they can call a hotline and get free support services. So all of that goes into making the culture change inside the company. You know, I've had a chance to talk to many, many people who run theaters, but your focus on the staff, the support that you're providing the staff, and the culture in which the staff works. You enthusiastically told this, me this story when we first met. It's really something that's important to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, my well, first of all, my biggest expense is the staff. They're the ones running the company. So if they're not taken care of, everything else will fall apart. I also believe, I mean, I have a really intense self-care practice. And I believe that, that the personality of organizations stems from the top down. Organizations that are in crisis probably have a leadership that's in crisis. Organizations that, that are not fun and approachable probably have a leader that's not fun and approachable. And so I want to use what I know in my own life to filter that through the company. But really, the staff is doing the work. And so if they're not taken care of, no one else is going to be taken care of. So it's super important. One of the other things that I know is important to you is professional development, mm -hmm. continuous learning. Oh, yeah. And you have a new approach to that as well. Yeah, sure. So at previous jobs, I've put aside a specific line item so that each staff person had, you know, $500 annually in their budget for um, professional development. But again, you know, we talked about it, when we defined the, the cultures that we wanted, they defined growth and entrepreneurship. So I want to make sure they are continuing to learn and to grow. Um, so one, all professional development is on-the-job training. I'm not going to tell you you have to spend your weekends and evenings outside of work hours. There are no defined work hours because we have unlimited <laughs> vacation. <laughs> but if you come to the office and you want to sit at your desk and take a course, that's fine. I like that. So one of the platforms, I looked into a bunch of platforms for online learning um, to see sort of which one had, which one suited us best expense-wise and also which ones had the kinds of courses that my staff needed. So we looked at LinkedIn Learning, which just uh, acquired lynda.com. And so on LinkedIn Learning, there are 
over 100,000 courses in anything you want to know business and nonprofit wise. Uh, some of these courses are three minute introductions. Some are 45 minute classes. Some are eight hour learning paths. So the management can go in and suggest classes that the staff can take for specific departments or specific people. You can even put a timeline on when you have to get it taken care of. So if say you're looking at trying to up your social media game, you can put a bunch of courses in your staff's inbox and say, by next week, have these courses looked at so we can have a really good conversation about upping our social media. But I know the staff has gone in, they've come up with, like some of them told me they have 100 courses in their inbox they want to take. Um, but again, that's a great way for them to continue to grow. And it's for the betterment of the company. Um, so I highly recommend people look at it. So it sounds like you are really investing time and um, really a lot of thought into making sure your staff is the best that it can possibly be. At the same time, you've come into an organization that is really in need of some change to mm -hmm. be successful, both fiscally healthy as well as, you know, meeting the needs of your audiences. How do you approach major change in an organization? Yeah, I <laughs> tons of change management classes. <laughs> um, you know, there are many approaches. One is you can slowly rip the Band-Aid off and deal with the fallout every single time you pull the Band-Aid a little bit more. Or you can rip it off, deal with all the grossness underneath it, and then start to work to repair. I tend to like that version than the other version because, especially if you're in crisis or have needs that, are, that need to be addressed sooner than later, it's easier just to deal with it all the fallout right away and then slowly um, rebuild. Uh, I try to maintain a sense of positivity and also focus on the concepts and where we're trying to go rather than cutting this, cutting that, changing this, changing that. So for me, the biggest roadmap that I got from New Rep was their strategic plan, which was called Vision 2020. It was very clear what the board wanted us to do. And I think that strategic plan was more an operational improvement plan, but they were very clear about what they wanted us to do. And so that was my marching order. So everything else had to be restructured to sort of help us get to that place. And I think often organizations spend all this time on strategic plans and they don't really look at the, the strategies and the structures and uh, the re revising job descriptions and even job descriptions that that, that go to the board um, to help us get there. So I, um, I look at the main focus areas of a strategic plan and everyone's job description has those written in, including the board. So ours was advance race equity, expand audiences, get rid of the debt, and grow contributor revenues. Every staff person and every board member's job description has that in it. And when we evaluate ourselves at the end of the year, you're going to be asked, what did you do? Even if you're in production, what did you do to advance race equity? What did you do to reduce the debt, to get more butts in seats? Uh, that's the way to keep us all focused on the on the, the main prize. So I'm going to pick up on that um, work you're doing with the board because one thing we hear a lot about from our organizations is how do we make sure we have the most productive board possible that they don't feel like potted plants sitting in the meeting and just being reported to. But you know what is the role of the board? What should, how can the board member be uh, making the highest and best contribution of their time and effort. So you started out by talking about linking job descriptions of board members with the strategic plan. Talk more about that and how and what you're getting out of board members as a result. Well, again, the mar the roadmap and the marching orders from the board is their strategic plan, their vision 2020. And so for me, everyone on the board has to be able to 
help get us there. So as we're recruiting board members, I look at a gap analysis, making looking at where what what skills we have on the board and what skills we need to get to the strategic plan. And so we're hyper-focused on bringing people on that can help us get there and not bringing on people because they can write a big check. Because those people will come in and they'll feel disengaged or they'll get upset because they're not able to really contribute in a meaningful way besides writing a check. Or they're hijacked board meetings because they want to now do this and it's not in the plan and they're not patient enough to wait till the next plan gets devised. So to me, it's all about that strategic plan. You know, I also believe in models and structures. I do. I look at best practices all the time and I remind the boards that we can't make it up. There are models out there. We can tweak the model to suit what we do, but there are models out there. There are reasons why these these kind of structures exist. I recently had a conversation with with the board about the fact that they want 100% consensus before they take a vote. And I'm like, look, (laughs) this is taking too long. We have a democratic process for a reason. We don't have to get 100% consensus. And you guys are only meeting once a month, so I can't wait for these decisions. So I'm pushing you make a decision take a vote and if it's not 100 percent, that's okay that's okay so all those little things you do to sort of get a board focused i want to dig a little more into the board job description because i really do think this is a tool that a lot of our organizations could benefit from so let's take racial equity which is one of the strategic goals of the organization how do you put that into a board member's job description just write it in but, but what is your expectation of that board member? Well, that they are, I mean, we, New Rep has to do a lot more race or equity training, first of all. I believe that the race equity work has to start with education. So as we are trying to roll out this race equity work, I'm giving them little bits and pieces here and there about uh, the work they can do in actionizing some of the race equity work that I've learned. That's later on in the strategic plan, but... You know, I can talk about things like uh, put more butts in seats. What did you do to put more butts in seats? I've given you guys unlimited tickets to opening night. How many people have you brought this year? So when we have their their evaluation at the end of the year, I can ask them those kinds of questions. So what is your biggest challenge now? What's So you, you've taken a look at the whole uh, way that the staff culture has been redesigned mm-hmm. around your objectives. You've got job descriptions for your board's members. We haven't talked about the plays. The plays, right. <laughs> I suppose you think about the plays from time to time. So your approach to the content of the work is also part of the change. Yeah, and it, you know, I, it's it's interesting because I I struggle a little bit with our mission and how to actionize it. It feels a little erudite is the word that comes to mind. Um, so how do you pick plays based on the mission that we have? So I'm having conversations with board and staff members about like. What are you? What's your interpretation of the mission? Which is the mission is New Rep does work that speaks powerfully to the vital issues of our time. So I have questions about speaking or plays that speak to or speaking about because I'm an action person. So I feel sometimes that that talking about issues absolves you from doing things. Um, so I want to like. I want to action, actionize things. The vital issues also, like who's deciding what the vital issues are. Vital issues kind of puts you in a very sort of heavy place because they're issues. It's not vital, I don't know, things. It's, it's issues that presents you with picking certain kinds of shows and not other kinds of shows. Other kinds of shows that may be more fiscally viable than the vital issue shows. I also have questions about who's deciding what the vital issues are, what lens are we looking at it 
from. And then there's the hour time. So who's the hour in that statement? And what is time? Is it today? Is it the last 50 years? Is it the history of mankind? All those are questions I have about the mission. And it's broad on purpose, but it, it's broad, but it's also very narrow at the same time. And so it, it, it's hard to pick a season. And I will also say picking a season is the least favorite part of my job. <laughs> I would think that would be the most You would, job. you would. But there's so many masters to answer to. You can't just pick five shows because you like those playwrights. You got to think about race equity. You got to think about is it marketable? Do, can we produce it? How many people are in the show? It's so many questions of finding that balance is is hard and also you get blamed for it <laughs> no matter who helps you pick the season you the artistic director gets, gets blamed for it so it's not an easy job to do but i do have a process i like models um, so i have created a matrix map where the staff decided what five things we want to evaluate all of our shows across and then we weighted each of those um, things such so, as is it on mission is it equitable, diverse, inclusive, and accessible? Does it uh, have marquee value? Uh, is it expensive? And they weighted each of those, totaling 100. And then I listed all the shows I'm considering, and I sent them all this map for them to rate each show on a scale of one to four across each of those five things. And then from there, we're going to pick the top 10, and then we're going to open up this, this conversation to other members of the community, some board members, some advisory council members, some artists, have them read the shows, rate the shows, and give us feedback on it. And then from there, we'll get to our top five. A model, a super, process, and super a way. Inclusive. Yeah, super inclusive. And I also make, have to make sure that committee of people that are reading the plays represent diversity of our community so that we're not, we're not biased. Amazing work. Michael Bobbitt, Artistic Director at New Repertory Theater, another one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be here. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.